Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are, uh, got a lot to talk about. You know, the 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 world seems to be. It's it's hard to say the world's coming apart because at what point, in a sense, in the last four years has it not been coming apart? And certainly in the last like four or five months. But it seems like things are sort of decompensating, degenerating in a, in a in a in a kind of uh, increasingly rapid pace over the last few weeks and some of that I mean a lot of that I think is driven by the realization that very few people can now deny that not only are we not past this we may not even have started this yet and this being the 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 COVID epidemic and uh that has created this 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 gyre right of bunch of different things coming together we have everything coming out of the george floyd uh protests that have in themselves in the immediate sense basically not sure ended but dramatically scaled back um and each of these things has also damaged president trump's public standing his poll numbers and that has in turn made him even weirder and more chaotic and so all these things are kind of coming together and and um right before we got started we briefly discussed this uh, uh group of emails that i've been publishing over the last couple of days from readers um some from california who are like in a collective like what the fuck like what the fuck happened how are we going back to this how did this happen um and going it's a, back to it being like a second a second shutdown, semi, basically, right? Yeah, semi-shutdown. I mean, I think some people have made a good point. It's not really a shutdown like it was in, in, in March and April, but it's a dramatic ramping back of, of, of where they were. And it is, uh, it's a bit more conflicted for people in California because obviously there's not like a Ron DeSantis you can, you can, you can rail against. Um, it's a Democratic state under Democratic management. Um, and then we have emails from TPM readers abroad in Australia, in France, and they are aghast and just totally perplexed because it's it's basically over there. Now, it's not like done and done. It's it's still happening, but there's, you know, there there's uh people kids are back to school. Um, people are eating in restaurants, you know, they're going to comedy clubs, you know, maybe you can't have quite as many people as you used to. Um, you wear masks sometimes, but you don't have to wear masks all the time. And in this email from this, this expat in Australia, she makes the point that, you know, they got it under control, but now there's been like a second outbreak. But, but what the key is, is that what they're calling a second outbreak, which I believe is in Melbourne and is kind of tied to one cluster, it's like 100 people. <laughs> and like on a good day in New York, which is the state that's doing better than anywhere else in the country, we have like like seven or 800 people. So even when they talk about having, a, you know, a, some backsliding or, uh, you know, some reverses, it's trivial compared to what we're used to here. And at least I have this kind of collective sense of not just how much we've bungled this, which overwhelmingly goes to the president of the United States. But there are just more general ways 
that at least, you know, at least the country that I grew up in, and, and here I'm talking about growing up in the 70s and 80s, you have a basic sense of kind of like, you know, n- not just we are the best in a kind of a rah-rah sense, but in a bunch of technological ways, scientific ways, uh, public health ways, like we're pretty solid, right? We're still kind of like the, the you know, we're the, the leader. And that was not always the case even then, but it's really not the case now. And it just leaves a lot of people, I think, and I really include myself in this, just in a sense of, uh, you know, if hopefully President Trump is driven from office, we've got a lot of work to do. And I don't mean just getting this COVID thing under control. Like, can we get back to where we don't have to look at like every other advanced affluent industrialized country and see them just kind of running circles around us it's 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 like embarrassing and not just embarrassing it sucks for us so a lot to discuss but before we do before we do let's remember that uh we got to talk a little about grady's cold brew ice coffee our sponsor here at the josh marshall podcast grady's cold brew is here to help you stay cool and caffeinated this summer with their signature new orleans style iced coffee if you're still holed up at home grady's can bring the coffee shop to you their line of brew it yourself bean bags shipped directly to your door for less than a buck a cup and the system couldn't be easier to use. Just add water to the pre-measured filter bags for gallons of completely customizable cold brew. No special equipment required, and shipping's free on all Grady's bean bag products. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order if you purchase at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And of course, you can also purchase it at Amazon or at your local grocery store or whatever curbside pick up atorium you are you are currently uh doing business with yeah sounds good uh it's funny i mean one thing that your your introduction made me think about josh was just tweets and graphics and things we've seen over a number of weeks and even months and that you know if everyone decided to wear masks in public uh you know we could kind of wrestle the coronavirus under control in a matter of weeks and i'm curious you know this is very anecdotal but um in new york city just walking around biking around i'm it feels like there was a time when people were kind of letting their guard down when it came to masks, but I, it feels like I've seen people kind of being better about that a little bit. I'm curious how, what you see in DC, Kate and Josh, what you've seen in your neck of the woods, but um, it feels like that's really an important piece to emphasize again, especially when it's hot out, especially when it's uncomfortable just to, uh, to suck it up and, and do your best with that. I mean, especially when you're going inside of a store or an enclosed space, but um, what, have you, what have you both noticed? Well, I think that's a piece of this that goes to what Josh was saying with the complete like void of any kind of federal authority is that, you know, even to me, whose eyeballs deepen this stuff all the time, it's not completely clear to me when you do and do not have to wear a mask, you know, like inside, obviously, of course, always outside, I don't know. Do you need to wear one when you're running? You know, I've read a slew of articles about it because for any of our other, you know, runner listeners, running with a mask is horrible. It feels like you're suffocating. It's just so unpleasant. And so I've, you know, looked it up and most of the common wisdom seems to be, you know, if you're on a pretty empty stretch, you're fine. Wear it around your neck, pull it up when you go by people kind of thing. Okay, you know, it's like not the perfect system in, uh, you know, in execution. And I have gotten, you know, screamed at by someone in a car when I was running uh, on the street to try to get away from people, which, you know, goes back to my primary point of I don't know why all the streets aren't closed. But I'd say aside from that, it's probably like 75% mask compliance. A lot of people doing the old wearing it as a chin strap till someone approaches and pull it up kind of thing. Yeah. Some of it to me, I mean, it's fun. Uh, uh, Listeners may not know, but I was not in New York City proper from uh, late March until about three weeks ago. So I, you know, I was not here. I I was still in New York State. I was just outside the city. But I was not here for sort of the worst part. Um, except for some, you know, a couple brief uh, excursions into the into the city. So <clears throat> I don't have, uh, you know, a complete sense of what everything was like all the way back. Um, 
I would say maybe there's a a bit stepping up the compliance. Maybe it's hard to say. We all have very limited anecdotal, you know, uh, uh, references. Um, I would say for people for people in other parts of the country, it at least where I, you know, in my neighborhood, just people walking around, it's pretty rare to see someone with no mask. Like that is not common. That's I would say. Um, at least I would say at least 95% of the people have a mask on. They may not have it on their mouth, right? It may be down to their neck or something like that. But it, it's it's pretty uncommon uh, that you see someone with no mask at all. And I would say, you know, mo- uh, 75% of people, something like that, maybe 80, have the mask on correctly. Um, and as Kate says... Uh, ba- here, basically, I'm talking about outside. And, you know, there it is a kind of a semi-debatable thing. You're kind of crossing each other on the sidewalk and stuff like that. Um, it may not be absolutely uh, essential. Uh, to me, there is a... There is a... Um, you know, there there is a salutary social signaling aspect to it. Like, I may not 100% need to have my mask on now, but I'm going to keep it on because, like, I want to, I don't want to, I want to show everybody I'm on the team, right? (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm not screwing around. And because, honestly, when I see people with their masks down in, in, you know, around other people, I'm sort of like, what the fuck? Like, why can't you put your fucking mask up? Or like, you know, put it over your nose. Like, like, how do you do you not know how this works? You know, right. Um, the classic so, mask over the mouth, but under the nose is a perplexing yeah. uh, choice. <laughs> and the funny thing, I funny thing, my understanding of this is that your profusion of uh, contagion is primarily through your mouth. Your ability to be infected is primarily through your nose. That's it. It's going to get into your navel, uh, navel, <laughs> nasal cavity, and and you know, kind of get implanted there. Now, that's not a hundred percent by any means. I don't want to, get, but in general, that's kind of the trajectory. So, kind of in a way, sort of the jokes on them. Um, but I, I put myself in. I'm a big mask shamer. I'm totally down with it. Honestly, um, I agree with you, Kate. The sort of like, it, it can. Um, there was a, there was a time a few weeks ago where I took my sons out fishing, and um, it, you know you're out fishing in a lake and right I mean kind of like no one's there so we had masks but we didn't, we had them down or whatever, and um, these people are coming, you know our car's there there's another car kind of nearby no one you know no one's there. And um, we were walking kind of near that car when the other people from the car came back and they look at us from like 40 feet and like, excuse me, why aren't your masks on? (laughs) And um, and I was kind of like, hey, you know, come on, (laughs) we're out here in the middle of nowhere and you're like half a football field away from me. Um, But it also I told my sons afterwards, kind of like, you know. Everybody's scared. Everybody's trying to kind of keep keep safe. And uh, even if it seems a little excessive to those people, you know, to us, like, put on your mask. It, it's a, it's a, um, I think it is a, an important real thing to let's lean forward, not only in a direct sense of not spreading the contagion, but also signal to our, fe- our our fellow citizens that we're you know that we're we're looking out for them too yeah kate one thing i wanted to talk with you about is some reporting you've done in recent days and it's hard to believe the summer is basically halfway over at this point and we're we're quickly approaching the fall we talked last week i believe about the issue of going back to school sending kids back to classrooms um and you know, another issue that will that will come up once the weather starts to dip a little bit is uh, the flu season. And you've been reporting with our colleague Josh Kavensky a bit, even in uh, starting last week, just about the complex issue of 
kind of the flu on top of COVID and how they present similar symptoms. It's hard without a test to really tell which is it. Do I have COVID or is it, you know, just a case of the flu? Um, most recently, you were looking at the issue of flu vaccines, which I guess can start to be available sort of later this month, maybe in August. I want to say last year, I got mine in October, which is still pretty warm in New York City. So it's kind of before the before the chill starts to come and maybe the flu season starts to rage. But tell us about some of the, I don't know, unique challenges this year with administering the flu vaccine, kind of how we do on the on vaccines kind of in general and just sort of what you've learned in the course of that reporting. Yeah, so a lot of it, you know, focused on the disruptions to our general lives right now are kind of deeply tied into the disruption of the vaccination campaign because a lot of people get vaccinated at work or at school um, and those aren't options, which kind of, so that leaves, you have to be proactive. You know, you have to go to the pharmacy, you have to seek out the shot. It's not as likely to come to you, uh, which is already pretty bad news given that on a normal non-pandemic year, only 45% of adults get vaccinated. And those numbers plummet in certain, you know, subsets, which happen to be the same subsets of people who are very vulnerable to COVID. Um, for instance, you know, Black Americans are much less vaccinated than that, usually. And that creates you know, all kinds of problems, not the least of which is you can get infected by both at once, you know. But I think the larger scale issue is however bad our flu season is going to be, that will directly affect how bad we are at dealing with COVID because both of these illnesses target the same area. They're both respiratory illnesses, which means that they use the same hospital resources. So if we have a huge drop in vaccinations this year and we get walloped with a really bad flu season that sends people to the ER and to the hospital that just strains already stretched resources to deal with COVID. Um, so that's kind of the collision is inevitable, but I think the severity of it is yet to be seen. And that depends really on how effective we are at getting the message out that you need to stay home, you need to limit your interaction with people, but you also have to go out and seek a flu shot. And that might be, you know, at a pharmacy or, you know, somewhere that more people are around than are at your home. Um, which, you know, we found in our reporting, some other countries have been able to do, you know, Australia is having their flu season right now. And obviously the, the mitigation efforts for COVID are a huge part of the plummeting number of flu infections. But this they've also set records this year for vaccinating the most people they ever have because their top health officials just really, really hammered. You know, part of your responsibility right now is to get the flu vaccine, even though those two big bits of guidance are in contradiction. So, I mean, that's the challenge that health officials are facing now. Um, you know, along with how to kind of compensate for that lost infrastructure where we usually get shots. And, you know, some people I talked to thought the best way to do it is take advantage of the warm weather, have these big mass immunization clinics, you know, outside in church parking lots or pharmacy parking lots or something like that, and take advantage of the fact that we don't need to be inside right now. Um, but well, yeah, it's, they, a, it's a when, challenge. When do they get... When does the vaccines arrive? Like how quickly, you know, normally we do it later because mm -hmm. we don't have all these other issues with it we're, that we're, we're dealing with. But how, how soon could they start deploying it? As, as early as the uh, late this month. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess you're saying if they're doing it in Australia now, it's, 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 it's already, they've already come up with the mix right. for this year. Interesting. Even though I did talk to um, one uh, epidemiologist researcher who is talking about that there is some research that the vaccine becomes less effective the earlier out you get it from the season, that the antibodies start to wane. Um, so that's a factor too. But I think my general sense is that people are so freaked out that our vaccination levels are going to be nothing that, you know, they're not even trifling with that part of it. They're just like, you know, go get your shot, get everyone in your family the shot. Is Does there, does there seem to be, Kate, any, any substantial science on whether it is possible or how likely it is that you could get the flu and COVID at the same time? Multiple people I talked to brought that up as a possibility. You know, you can have it at the same time, but I think it, I think we're just too new. And the fact that the flu season 
uh, was mostly passed in the U.S. when we had COVID, or you know, first time around, that nobody really could tell me how likely that is. You know, because I, I I seem to remember that in the very early stages of it, they were um, trying to use a a flu test as basically a test of exclusion. So you're you're not doing well. They give you a flu test. You have the flu. All right, that means no COVID. When Obviously, it doesn't necessarily mean no COVID. It may be a good, you know, decent assumption as long as it wasn't that widespread. But I, I thought I remembered that they actually did find cases of like people who had both. Yeah, and, you and definitely I, can. And 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 my, you know, my layman's assumption would be that having both is bad, right? <laughs> and, but but I guess it's it. Maybe it's not, those things are not always as clear cut as they seem from the outside. Right. I mean, and there is another interesting uh, point that's kind of tangential to yours, which is I asked some of these people, you know, is there any talk of having a dual flu COVID test in the works, you know, um, just test against a panel of respiratory illnesses and, and get that done. And, um, one woman, Sarah Kobe, who runs a lab at U Chicago, uh, has been in talks with some senior officials at the NIH about developing such a dual test. But she said it it seems like pretty much a pipe dream. Just um, yeah, isn't, isn't there all I remember, again, early in the epidemic here in New York, they talked a lot about it's the fire something. It's it's basically uh, there's a, a panel test that I think is a site of testing, you know, where you don't have to send it out. You just kind of do it in, in the place, in the, in the doctor's office or whatever, that not only tests for flu, but like, I don't know what the other, you know, the kind of the range of things. So you kind of, you, you take the one and it, it, it tests mm-hmm. for seven or eight different things. One would think that, um, you could just kind of, you know, plug COVID into that. I guess right. we're just not. I mean, she, the way she described it to me is it's only a possibility if we remake the healthcare system, basically saying that since insurance companies have such the last word on what tests are and are not covered, that Mm -hmm. at least right now at, you know, at her hospital, um, doing a separate flu and COVID test are cheaper. But she said she still hopes to run, you know, just a little sample of that, of testing one swab against a whole slate of respiratory illnesses. Um, and she was mentioning that she would want to do it at one of uh, the testing sites for where we have um, flu surveillance, because our, our flu surveillance infrastructure is actually very robust and, and really good, whereas our COVID surveillance system, you know, sucks. So if she could kind of use that and test it out. But yeah, I mean, the only obstacle seemed from what I could gather to be pretty um, economic, just what the insurance companies wouldn't want to cover. I I do remember very, one of the, one of the, those uh, sinking feeling moments I had in in the very early part of this, of this crisis was, as you said, there is a, there is a longstanding and robust flu surveillance system in the United States. They, it's, it's a syndromic thing. They call it ILI, uh, influenza like illnesses. It's, you know, it, it, it's everywhere. You know, there's kind of every local public health department has it. And early in the crisis, the idea was that, well, okay, we don't have a lot of tests, but if it starts to move, we're going to pick it up in the ILI surveillance. Um, and I remember there was a uh, one of these kind of you know public health dudes on 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 Twitter flagging. I think it was maybe like March tenth or something like that. You know, kind of early mid March, pointing to the New York City ILI chart and like you know as as normally is the case in the flu season. You know, goes up into the winter, kind of starts trailing off into the spring. So it's trailing off, and all of a sudden you see boop. Right. Something's going back up. And he looks and he he like tweeted this. And I it was, again, it was it was one of those moments for me. He tweeted that and he said, like, you know, that could be, you know, the walking worried. Everybody's hearing about covid. They go in. It's it, it's not the surveillance is not based only or I think mainly on positive uh, uh, lab identification it's people coming in with things that sound like the flu. 
So conceivably, everybody's hearing about COVID, people coming in worried, they got the sniffles or whatever. And he said, but that's knowable, but it doesn't look good. And in fact, it wasn't good. That was COVID, right? right? Um, (laughs) And that dynamic you just kind of described is also an interesting part of this that some people I talked to brought up that, you know, people are afraid of COVID. You know, it's new and scary and we know that people are dying from it. So I had one doctor say that he thinks it's much more likely people would go out and get a COVID vaccination instead of a flu vaccination, which has been around a lot. It doesn't, even though the flu kills, you know, thousands of people a year, it just, it doesn't have that same, you know, specter-like presence in our minds right now. So, you know, uh, he was, this is a doctor at Duke, but his take on it was that he thinks people might go out and get vaccinated more readily if there's, you know, if we start hearing good news from the COVID vaccination trials, like if there's, if that's coming around the corner, maybe people will be like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll get them both, you know, in one fell swoop. Right. The funny thing, and, and I want to be careful about what I'm about to say here. We all know all of the pseudoscience and conspiracy theories and incredibly irresponsible stuff that is, that gets talked about with, Vaccinations, the whole anti-vax, blah, 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 blah. And that is based on what is, um, you know, what is true that these these vaccines have been used on hundreds of millions, billions of people. They're safe. They're tested, blah, 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 blah. You have a bunch of new vaccines coming down the, you know, coming down the pike now. Uh, a significant number of them, the ones that use this RNA, you know, kind of synthetic RNA uh, genetic material, is significantly new technology, right? And they are going to, uh, you know, they're going to rush these into production as as they should, right? We're in a we're in a big national crisis, and it's funny, like when I think about like, am I going to want to get the COVID vaccine on day one? Uh, I might wait a few weeks, right? I mean, it's a funny thing because because we know as almost religion, people who 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 say scary stuff about how vaccines are dangerous are crazy people. And for the existing vaccines, that is true. When you when you're bring, you know, when you're when you're moving at light speed to get a new vaccine out, it's not quite the same. And again, I don't want, I, I can imagine people saying, Josh, what do you, you know, you're going to tell people not to get the COVID vaccine. I'm not, 100% not. Can't wait for it to be out. It's critically important. Um, they are going to do tests. I just want to kind of draw out that it is a little different when things are brand new. It's, uh, you know, there is some, there is some uncertainty. And I, and I do think that as I imagine, I mean, a whole other thing that we're going to have to deal with when a, a COVID vaccine first becomes available is that there's not going to be enough of it for everybody. And, and a, there's not going to be enough of it, you know, distribution. I mean, you're, you're talking about trying to give a vaccine to billions of people. That is a, an unimaginable task. Um, and, and I would assume in the U S you're probably going to, Go f- you're going to go first to healthcare providers since obviously they're the most, you know, they're the most vulnerable. I'm actually curious whether you're going to go early to elderly people since, um, you know, if there are any issues of, of, of negative, you know, negative reactions, elderly people can be more vulnerable to the to reactions. So it's, um, it's complicated. And don't send me the emails. I get it. I know. Vaccines are great. I'm not, I'm, believe me, I am, I'm such a, uh, such a believer in vaccines. But again, it is the reason that we, the reason that we, in the sort of the reality-based, scientifically conversant community, are so pro them because we've got years and years and years of experience. They save lives you know, a minuscule, minuscule number of people have, you know, kind of local on-site reactions, get a little whatever, but they save millions of lives. There are, there are significant, there, there are different range of questions when you're kind of rushing something to market that's brand new. Well, and all this is to say, you know, as much as we can get a message across, you know, 
just get your flu vaccine, get your whole family vaccinated. You know, right now there's only so much we can do to protect ourselves from COVID, but the flu vaccine, even in years when it's not perfect, I mean, it's the best way to protect yourself against flu. And you just don't want to be in a situation where you're in an emergency room with a severe case of flu when we're also you know, dealing with COVID and everything. So, yeah, and ta- and taking the bed of someone who has co- who has COVID, right. Yeah. right? And it's the case too that even if you get the flu vaccine and the the prevalent strain of flu is is different than what it, you were vaccinated from, your chances of having a severe case are lower, right. also, right? So it's sort of, you know, it's kind of a win win situation. It's like no, you know, there's doesn't seem to be much downside to it. So yeah, I remember at the, at the very beginning of this crisis again in in. Uh, in uh, kind of early March, uh, maybe very late February, um, because I, you know, I was a, I, either paranoid or a smart early adopter on the COVID thing. Man, I like I, I put in my first Amazon order for hand sanitizer, like at the end of January. <laughs> but I remember, and and again, I get my flu shot just I, you know, almost every year. Occasionally, I'll I'll I'll, I'll miss it. Um, but in 2020, for whatever reason. I just hadn't gotten it. And this is when things were heating up in, in, in early March. And I remember thinking like, you know what, what what's your problem? You got to get it just get the flu shot. It's just, it, you know, there's so, there's so few things that we can do now, but you can make sure you are not in the hospital needing to get emergency care for the flu when like you could have just gotten a fucking shot and, and av- avoided the whole thing. It's just, right. you know, irresponsible. All right. Well, in the last bit of time we have, I thought we could shift gears and talk about checking on the, the 2020 campaign. And Kate, uh, another story you wrote yesterday was about Joe Biden going up with his first general election campaign ad in the state of Texas. May, you know, big media market. In fact, like several media markets. Right. I mean, some of the largest cities in the country, Houston and Dallas, um, expensive places to advertise. And I guess this was about this was a six figure buy. So not a huge, huge by, but more kind of, uh, you know, meant to needle Trump and and make him defend places that maybe he wouldn't have thought he needed to defend uh, in the first place. What was the what was the ad like that you saw? I mean, it's coronavirus related, right? Mm-hmm. And um, sort of what else did you hear about the the campaign strategy of of doing so? Yeah. So I mean, to start out, just let's establish that I am like a huge sucker for political ads, like the overt emotional you know, hits, they get me, they just make me tear up. So, you know, orchestral scores, soft focus (laughs) camera, I'm I'm a sucker for all of it. But yeah, so this uh, ad that the Biden campaign has dropped in Texas, Florida, North Carolina, and Arizona, um, it's called Tough, based on the COVID um, pandemic, you know, sliced in with a lot of, you've got nurses, you know, putting their hair in ponytails and going to work and worried dads, you know, holding their babies and looking out the window kind of thing. And the Texas one is all about, you know, this disease is tough, but Texas is tougher. And it talks about, you know, overtly about the spike they're having right now, uh, everything like that. And then he transitions into kind of the social responsibility doctrine kind of thing, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands kind of thing. And then, you know, and he kind of taps into his uniquely Joe Biden appeal and says, I won't abandon you, no matter how scared you are, how down on your luck, you know, I'm with you. Uh, and then it ends with a, him, you know, wearing his, his black mask and it says, stay safe, wear a mask kind of thing. So, yeah, so he dropped those in those states where obviously we've seen a slew of public polling that is showing, you know, Biden up in Florida, essentially tied in Texas, essentially tied in Arizona, you know, kind of putting all these states on the playing board that, you know, Texas is the Democrats' great white whale. It's like no matter how much you want it every year, you know, it always seems out of reach and it might still be. I um, briefly talked with uh, the research director at the Texas Politics Project at um, UT Texas in Austin, and he said, you know, Texas is trending more competitive still a long shot in this election for Biden. But, you know, it's probably good politics to compete there anyway, because why not make the Republicans defend it? You know, if they have to spend their money defending Texas, you know, if his, as you said, DT, like pretty modest ad buy, but if that spooks them into being like, what do they know that we don't know? Maybe we should shore up our ground game there. That's 
money and people they can't spend on Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. So, yeah, it's 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 always important to for for listeners to remember just if Texas is competitive, if both sides are fighting for it, that is already a big win for for right. the Democrats and, and, and for Joe Biden, even if they don't win the state, just because, they, you know, resources are finite. If, if, if you're if you're um, if, if they have to fight for for Texas, that is just less resources, less focus that they're going to be able to to deploy in Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, maybe Virginia, although Virginia is pretty much, a, I think, a completely blue state right now. Um, so those th- I mean, it's it's there. There have been, as I'm sure many of you have, have seen, you know, there's half a do- now there's about half a dozen kind of credentialed prognosticator services, right? Which is a little, these, and these are different from like what the Nate Silvers do with, that are basically poll-based. This is much more subjective. And at least where those are now is that Biden is, uh, has <clears throat> the states that are either safe Biden, lean Biden, or likely Biden basically add up to about 270 electoral votes. And Trump has about 200 and the things that are up for grabs are florida you know florida georgia north carolina um you know a couple i don't think anybody really puts any of those people put texas really into the toss-up um but you know maybe they've got wisconsin uh arizona obviously basically the fight right now is in red states and that's you know, that's being heavily, heavily, heavily on the defensive. Right. I mean, and I think to some degree, you know, Biden acting like he's competitive in Texas is essentially the same thing. You know, I mean, so much of this is setting the narrative and the narrative that Biden wants is, wow, Trump has really blown this on coronavirus and race issues and the economy. And we're killing it so much that we're competing in Texas, you know, get every hopeful Democrats heart raise, you know, so, and cause you know, that also drive Trump crazy and he's got, you know, the self-control of a toddler. So making him out to be as unstable as possible. And, you know, like the, um, Rose garden speech he gave the other day, one of the, the first like overtly political campaign speeches we've seen from that podium, you know, I think the Biden strategy, which has been working so far is just, you know, keep him, you know, being safe, setting a good example in his basement or whatnot, you know, giving kind of dueling speeches where he can, and then just let Trump keep, you know, stomping around and crushing everything. I I did have in that, that ad, that Biden ad in Texas, I did have a similar reaction to, I think the one you're describing, Kate, that kind of like, I won't abandon you. Mm -hmm. We'll get through this. And, and as you said, you know, that's Biden's strike zone that's where that has always been his thing all the stuff about family tragedy and you know that we know that's biden's thing and i think it is a very genuine thing what's jarring or what is revealing in a way about watching that is just how different it is from trump that's so alien from Trump. What we hear from Trump is your children are going to get slaughtered in democratic cities and you got to go back to school and the fake news is lying about the numbers. And, and we've gotten, you know, this is Trump. We know this, this is what he does, but it is, it's, (laughs) It's so different from what we expect, even from a bad president, right? I wasn't a big fan of George W. Bush's, but in those kind of public moments, in most cases, he was at at least able to do the standard blocking and tackling. We'll get through this. Don't worry. We'll we'll get through it together. Again, these are not hard things to say. Um, But what has just crystallized to me over the last... I don't know, last week or so, is that Trump's whole thing for the last 
six months has basically just been a, a running argument with the country. It's not real. It's not going to be bad. It's done. Uh, uh, whatever. You just just are arguing with us. It's not his fault. It's fine. Kids got to go back. Don't I mean? He had that tweet yesterday where he put he put in square quotes, child safety. Like, dude, <laughs> dude, there are a lot of parents out there. That is really jarring to see the president sort of like mocking, like, oh, keeping the kids safe. Oh, nice try, wusses. You know, like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Can I ask you, I'm curious what you both think of, um, you know, there's been some commentary from the likes of James Carville, who I don't think has any special insight in this scenario, saying that Trump might just decide not to seek re-election or might drop out or is trying to kind of purposefully uh, sabotage his own campaign. What do you make of that? I mean, is there, do you think there's any grain of truth to it? It seems hard to believe to me, but I'm no. curious where you went. <laughs> My most hated, you know, narrative that crops up every so often is Trump doesn't really want this. His heart's not in it. You know, like he, this is him self-sabotaging. It's like, first of all, what else is he going to do? He freaking loves being the center of attention. He loves being important. There is no one that's more the center of attention or more important than the president, you know? So everyone's saying, like, oh, the job's too hard for him. It's like, well, not the way he does it. So I don't I don't buy that either. I don't think he's self-sabotaging. I think he's got one gear, and that gear is we are at war. We're at war with the liberal elite and the swamp, and the people who have been running this country into the ground, and that just doesn't happen to fit very well on someone who's the incumbent. So he's trying to pick other things to fight against. And for a while, that was the Confederate monuments. And now I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's schools, right? Yeah. Schools, fake news media, whatever. But and I just think that's pretty wearing for a country that's dealing with onslaught after onslaught. And we're all isolated and we don't have the exposure to our regular support groups. Um, or even our regularly scheduled programming, you know? So it's just, I think, I just think his his one-trick pony routine doesn't work as well when you're not, you know, the outsider. I, I completely agree. I think any sense that his heart's not in it, that he doesn't really want to be president again, I think that's all total nonsense. Um, I think he, I mean, I don't think Donald Trump gets a lot of joy from anything. He's a very aggrieved person. So I'm not sure he enjoys being president per se, but translating these things into normal human terms, he's totally into it. The only thing I think is possible, although I think very unlikely, is that he is so susceptible to ego injury that if you get into October and he's just it's it's looking like a bloodbath right like like he's just going to uh just going to be absolutely crushed i could see in his psychology mindset just kind of like bailing out as a way to say hey you didn't fire me i fired you you didn't break up with me i broke up with you you know, or, or coming up with like, oh, I just found out they're going to rig it. So I'm out of here. I'm not going to, cause we know I was, you know, so, so I think, I mean, this is someone, I mean, look, let's be honest. If, if anyone we've all been, uh, broken up with by someone who we cared about, or most of us have, we've all had disappointments. We've all had things that are very hard to deal with. If you're the president of the United States, and the country says, no, you, you really did not do a God. We don't want you to be president of the United States again. That's pretty tough for anybody, right? That's a really, that's a, that's a big rebuke. Donald Trump is someone who is uniquely vulnerable to ego injury. Um, he has this whole fantasy worldview that he's been like, maybe literally the best president the country's ever had. So getting rebuked by that, by being rejected, especially if it's big, is something that I think his personality would really struggle 
to accept, contain, to deal with. And so there's no question to me he's going to come up, if he loses, he's going to have some story where he did not really lose. Or he was you know, cheated, whatever, that, in, that he was not rejected. I mean, he already has that story uh, for the popular vote in 2016, even though he won, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. So that, that's the one part I could, he's, I, I think it's extremely unlikely, but I don't think it's impossible something like that could happen. But again, the idea he doesn't want it, he wants it. He's just failing. And that's what it looks like when you're failing. And even people who aren't, who, even politicians, even presidents who have not failed this bad, and, and in this case, I don't just mean substantively, I mean doing this bad in, you know, electoral terms. It is everybody who's behind looks like an idiot. This is like the basic rule of all politics. It is so hard to look smart when you're losing. A, just because we're sort of primitive beings, we we impute failure to blame the person you're failing because you're messing up right um but even beyond that when you are messing up what you're doing is not working so you keep having to try new things and when you keep trying a new strategy every day you look like an idiot and so it just compounds itself right and uh and he's just certain people can 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 withstand the emotional the the crushing emotional toll of rejection especially when it is in front of the whole world a whole world that already doesn't like you to a great extent i mean only a only a a a minority of people in the united states like trump outside the united states and israel man people hate donald trump he's reviled so to the extent that he's going to be rejected it's not going to be like you know if you go back to um 1992 when bush's father lost re-election people didn't tend to hate the first bush even if they even if they despised him politically. So when he lost, I think a lot of people, ah, you know, kind of feel bad for him. It really got walloped. No one's going to feel bad for Trump. People, it is going to be like a global, if you could reverse global warming with schadenfreude, we would have a shot at it, right? <laughs> I mean, there will just be, everybody will be laughing at him. And, and, and that's, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer guy, but it's going to be an unstable moment when, yeah. if, if we are, if we are blessed enough to get there when we, when we cross that. Well, and I also think, I don't think Trump has any sophisticated idea of history at all, but he I'm has to agree with you on that. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a, it's a stab in the dark, but yeah. I do think that he has a primitive understanding that we don't have many presidents who only served one term, you know, and in Donald Trump, lingo those are the loser presidents and i think the same way that people you know at first we're saying he doesn't care about being impeached like of course he does he knows that that is a very small club of american presidents that he you don't want to be part of you know that's a that's a black mark next to your name in all the history books forever and so i think you know as much as he he also always does that thing um you know that gif of the times co uh, the time magazine cover that has trump 2020 2024 2028 whatever so he wants to be the you know the opposite of a one-term loser um and you know it, it even pains me to hope for that because you know i'd love jimmy carter with every part of my heart and the idea of having him in a club with trump seems so wrong but yeah, I think Trump is really trying to avoid that. I'll tell you, though, the thing is, is that and, and you know, just to pile on Trump, it's a it is a pretty rare thing in American history. I if if I'm not mistaken, there are four presidents in the last hundred and thirty uh, hundred hundred twenty four years four who have tried to be reelected and failed. And I may be missing something, but it, but it's Taft, Hoover, Bush, and Carter. 
And if you think about it, I mean, that tells us the thing. American presidents get reelected. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, 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 I'm leaving out a few, a few uh, uh, you know, John Kennedy didn't make it, but we have to kind of, you know, put an asterisk next to him. He, had, he faced, you know, severe, severe challenges to his reelection. <laughs> um, and then you have some other kind of weird cases where uh, Lyndon Johnson was president and ran for a full term, won it, and then bowed out. These kind of, but I'm talking about you won once, you tried for a second, and you lost. It is not. It does not happen again. It does not. It does not happen too often. But I think we're fixing yeah. fixing to do a fifth. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe that's a good time to leave it for, uh, for this week. Yeah. All right. Well, remember on on that note, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall podcast, and you should really go out and buy some because seriously, it's it's uh, it's good stuff. You've heard me say this that uh, this is not just a sponsorship relationship; it's a it's an addiction relationship. We drink the stuff, <laughs> and it's really really good. Um, and I'm running it, low on my supply. I'm going to need to re up soon. Josh. Well, we should we should. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I need I need to canvas the staff again and see everybody's see everybody's doing yeah. kate yeah. you you guys got some right mm-hmm. Did, didn't you are you you still you still good with it are you you, uh, you know low? i'm a i'm a grady's heretic but yeah i know well, yeah we, my yeah, boyfriend's nuts about it so okay good, good, good. Yeah, at least someone yeah, at least so someone in the household is drunk. enjoying it mm-hmm. yeah all right so we'll we'll uh we'll we'll get some more around anyway it's great stuff check it out grady's uh, if, if it is your first time ordering directly from Grady's, you get 20% off. If you use the promo code TPM. You can also get it at Amazon, at your local store. And, and remember, this is a independently owned business uh, based in the Bronx. Uh, you know, the, this isn't just some uh, weird subsidiary of Unilever or Kraft or, you know, uh, Whatever, Nestle or what, whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever mega corporation or something like that. Uh, we even actually uh, had Grady's on 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 the podcast one time to kind of give us the story of Grady's. Great stuff. Uh, give it a try. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you next week. All right. Thanks. Later. Bye, guys. Bye. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader